welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Support for this episode is brought to you by the Headset app. Are you looking for a simple solution for coach to catcher communication for the season that doesn't require bulky hardware in the dugout? Traditional communication gear can be a headache to set up and carry from game to game. But what if there's a game-changing solution? Introducing the Headset app, your new MVP in communication for coaches and catchers. Enjoy crystal clear, ultra HD audio without the major league price tag. It's compatible with any Bluetooth headset or earbuds. Say goodbye to tangled wires and extra hardware. Ready to step up to the plate? Download the Headset app for free today. Getting started is as easy as a home run trot. Create your account, invite your team, and start calling pitches. The Headset app is ready for download in the App Store and on Google Play. Swing for the fences and download today to get a five-day free trial. And for a limited time, use ABCA24 when you buy your pass for next season and save 10%. Find out more at theheadsetapp.com. This week on the ABCA Podcast, 2024 ABCA Hall of Fame class inductee, former Alabama head coach Jim Wells. Wells retired in 2009. In his 15 seasons at Alabama, he finished his all-time winning as coach for the Crimson Tide, most SEC wins in that time period, three trips to Omaha, and tied for most SEC tournament titles with Skip Bertman and Paul Maneri. Wells led the Crimson Tide to back-to-back College World Series appearances in 96 and 97. Wells got his start in coaching as a seventh-grade baseball coach. Wells joined Skip Bertman's LSU staff as a graduate assistant in 1987. Wells went back to his alma mater, Northwestern State, in 1990 as head coach. Wells' first season at Northwestern State, they posted 38 wins and had not had a winning season in 13 years. Wells did the same thing at Alabama in 1995, winning 42 games, which was the most wins for a first-year head coach since 1907. Success followed Wells to every spot he went to and finished with 817 wins in 21 seasons as a head coach. Let's welcome Jim Wells to the podcast. I got to tell you, I've never done one of these. It's kind of exciting. I've, I've heard of Zoom. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> like I told you pre-call, that uh, that whole 
year and a half with COVID, like we all had to adjust. It, it actually helped the baseball community in a lot of ways because it brought everybody kind of closer together because we were all just trying to find stuff to do. So we ran like a 10-week, 11-week just outfield Zoom chat at night um, really? where people could jump on. And so a lot of people were doing these just random Zoom chats and – I think it, it allowed, you know, cause we'd have pro coaches on to youth coaches. Like it just was everybody yeah. jumped in. So I think it just brought the, the whole community together. Wow. I, I'm sure that was something I, I didn't get to experience that, but I can only imagine. Yeah. So look at you, big hunter, huh? It looks like it. Uh, my father collected guns and, uh, when we moved to Tuscaloosa, I had young children, and so I, I had a ball player on the team that had worked at the local sporting goods store, and I said, I need to sell these guns, uh, you know, because you're scared they're going to shoot themselves or something. So the guy came, and uh, he gave me the value of them, which was half the value of the blue book. My dad didn't really – he just collected them, except for two or three. And I said, well, I – I can't, and it, plus he had us his name on him. He put James B. Wells, Bossier City, Louisiana. So I've been carrying him around since he passed away in 1988. Uh, I use a couple of them, but the rest are. I'll have guns. to tell my boss. Craig is a is a huge hunter, so he'll be jealous. I have to tell him to look at the. the yeah, Zoom these link. are Belgian Browning shotguns. He collected a bunch of Belgian Browning shotguns. That's awesome. And I really never hunted until I got to Alabama because everybody would ask you what church you went to, which I'd never been asked that. And do you play golf? And I said, no. Do you hunt? No. So I chose uh, the hunting. And I don't really shoot anything, but it's fun to get out in the woods, especially back when you were coaching, just to get away from people. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a big part of the baseball community. There's a, there's yeah. a lot of guys hunter. A lot of guys. Yeah. yeah. That was the thing about being in, in Illinois, as long as I was, what, where Western Illinois is, that's some of the best deer hunting. Oh, yeah. In the world, yeah. The, the, the dirt is so black there. I used to harvest for a farmer um, after fall ball would get done just to help him out, but the, the dirt is dark, so you realize that's why the deer are so big, because the nutrients you know, are so dense there. That's why they're so big there. Yeah, that's what all these bow hunters around here for years do. They go to Illinois yep. and climb in a tree, yep. and that's a place to go. It is. Have it is. you hunted all? Did you ever have I don't, time to do I, that? I shot guns one time. We had a bunch of alums, uh, guys at Western Illinois, that would take our staff out um, that were big. But I ran a leadoff dinner every year at Western, and that was always our biggest item. Um, we had a, a former player that worked uh, for a gun company, so he would always donate these beautiful, beautiful guns. That was always our highest amount. Well, we'd always yeah, yeah, we'd yeah. end with that gun because yeah. uh, that would bring in the most amount of money. People would just come to lead off dinner because they knew there was going to be a, a rifle there, or AR or whatever. It was good, but I don't. I shot one time. I was that was enough for me. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Too dangerous. Well, you know, me. I looked you up while I was waiting to get for my son to fix it up, and it, I, I read you're a ball player and you were a coach and you played for your dad, like you. Yeah. So when did you? You're not coaching anymore, obviously. Well, that that's why you're one of my idols because you're in my sweet spot of playing. I played from '94 to '97. 
And yeah. so that that's why you're in my sweet spot because I knew how good <laughs> Alabama was back then. I don't know why we never played yeah. you guys. I because we always played a good schedule. You know, my oh, yeah. my freshman year, we played Georgia after they had won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Then we my sophomore year, we played Oklahoma, who had just won the national championship. So I, and it's not like Tuscaloosa is that far from Evansville, but oh no, I thought who was the was one of the Bennis brothers at Evansville? That was before I got. Well, there was two. Uh, Andy Andy was the player of the year, the Golden Spikes winner in '88. Yeah, and he went straight from Evansville, pitched for Team USA, and then went straight to the Padres to the big leagues. And then, see, I heard his name because I was a graduate assistant at LSU, and Coach Bergman was a pitching coach. Yeah, and he, you know, they were just names. Coach to Bergman me. actually coached that USA team that that Andy was yeah. on. Yeah, so I heard Bennis's name and Ben McDonald and. Yep. You know, I can't remember the other names, but Ben has stuck out. Sure did. That's a good and then story. He became a yeah, that well, he was with the pie. He was a workhorse for the Padres. That was a good story because Bennis was one of Boris's first clients, mm-hmm. and so the whole time, my dad would get a, a weekly call from Boris during the spring. And the entire time, Scott Boris is telling my dad, "Hey, when the scouts ask if Andy's going to go pitch for Team USA, tell him no." And so that's why the Padres took him first because they didn't think he was going to pitch for Team USA, and then he went and pitched for Team USA. <laughs> Jack, Jack McKean, um, who was longtime scout for the Padres, he married a woman from Evansville, Indiana. So I think that was uh-huh. part of the connection too, because Jack had had been in Evansville in the off season, and I love telling Andy Bennis stories because my fresh uh, his freshman year, I was on that spring break. The Arkans- we were at, at Arkansas, and their first baseman, uh, Jeff King, was going to be yeah. a, a first. He's going to be probably yeah. the first pick of the draft that year. And Bennis was just okay as a freshman in college because he played football and basketball at Evansville. And so Bennis comes out of the bullpen to face Jeff King. His first pitch, Jeff King, you remember that old medical building that used to be in left field in Arkansas? Jeff King hit a ball that was still going up and went halfway up that building. And I looked at my dad. I was like, that's the furthest ball I've ever seen hit. And then after the game, they rolled the turtle out so Jeff King could hit with a wood bat for the scouts. <laughs> <laughs> Andy is one of the nicer people you'll ever meet. He's Really? He's, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. his uh, brother Adam was a teammate of mine at Evansville. Yeah. Great family. I know they're big old boys. They they, they are you know. big. Him and Alan, especially. Adam's not as big as Alan and Andy, but Alan, um, you know, it's just Alan yeah. couldn't stay healthy. But they all grew up in Evansville. They they wow. yeah, they grew up in Evansville and then moved to uh Lake Forest, Illinois. So they went to high school in Lake Forest. Uh the younger ones did. So Andy played all the way through. He was at Central High School, which is a good program in Evansville, and then after Andy went to Evansville, they moved. So Adam and Alan actually grew up in Chicago. And I think that's probably why Alan ended up at Creighton. Because Jim Henry yeah. Jim Henry was doing a really good job in Chicago at that yeah. time. My dad was too, because yeah. we had really good Chicago players. But Jim Henry did a good job with, with Alan. And I don't think Alan wanted to follow in Andy's footsteps. It was a, a big part yeah. of that. Yeah. That's that that's normal. Yeah. How long was your dad at Evansville? Twenty three years. Wow. Yeah. God bless you. Then went to Illinois State after that. 
because he had played. He played on a national championship team at Illinois State for Duffy Bass. Uh, it was back then. It was university and college division way back in the the old days. So you know, when I was at Northwestern State in '94, we played Illinois State in a regional, and Carlton Fisk was the volunteer coach. Yeah, because Casey, his son, played at Illinois State. Casey was the catcher, and. Uh, my players were more interested in looking at him and talking to him than playing the game. <laughs> Nolan Ryan was the volunteer coach for TCU. Yeah, because his son. So we had we had a Hall of Fame volunteer coaching staff. It was pretty cool. TCU had remember those white Louisville bats that came out about that time. Very unique. Yep. Well, we didn't have much of a budget at Northwestern State, and TCU left one of those bats. I think seven of my nine starters used that bat in the game. It was like, you know, we're the bad news bears and we got a, I was going good grief, but yeah, Illinois state and Carlton Fisk. Yep. Tall man, huge. He just retired and he, he had, he had those stockings up to his knee, made him look seven feet tall instead of six, five or whatever he was, but. Here, Jim Wells, 2024 ABC Hall of Fame inductee, but 15 years at Alabama, all-time wingest coach at Alabama. Most SEC wins in that time period, uh, three trips to the College World Series, and then tied for most SEC tournament wins with Skip Bertman and Paul Maneri, uh, but assistant at LSU for Coach Bertman and head coach at Northwestern States. Coach Wells, I said pre-call, you're one of my idols, so thanks for jumping on with me. Well, Ryan, it's a pleasure, and uh, I can't imagine why I would be one of your idols, but that's very nice of you to say. <laughs> hey, after you got done playing, what were you doing before you took a grad job at LSU? Uh, well, I started off as a seventh grade teacher at Princeton Junior High, and uh, then I got a job at Jesuit High School at Loyola. And the All-City team came out uh, in 83, and I saw where LSU had hired a guy named Skip Bertman. And I said, you know, I'd like to be a college coach. And uh, anyway, and so uh, I kept riding him. And three years later, he finally uh, hired me. And uh, I went to LSU and was a graduate assistant for three years and then got the Northwestern State job. And you coached outfielders and hitters at LSU? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I did the outfielders and uh, helped Beetle Bailey with the hitters. And what a wonderful experience. I mean, you know. I Albert Bell was yeah. a good one to have, right? I had Joe Bell. What's, what's the funny Joey. story is I had, I had Joey Bell when he was a kid on a summer league team in Shreveport in Bossier City. So I knew Joey. He was the only guy I knew, he and Terry. And uh, – uh, Joe Bell was different. And back then, with the bats, they do opposite drill off a machine, and he was the only guy that was hitting home runs opposite field and hitting most of them off. No one else could get it even to deep outfield. Back in those days, remember those days when people didn't do that? Yeah, Joe Bell. Well, we talked about yeah. Evansville pre-call. I think that was the highest – 
run total ever that LSU, Lyle Mouton was at LSU at the time, and uh, Evansville went down to LSU and just got spanked. And my dad always tells that story. As the bus is pulling out, they got the radio station on, and they're giving Evansville a handful because Lyle Mouton just tore them to pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your first wife. Never, an easy, never an easy place to play. Yeah. Tough. I, I like telling that story. My, they got there, and my dad gets a knock on the hotel room door, and it's one of their pitchers. And um, he goes, hey, Coach Brownlee, uh, some guys were wanting to go to the bookstore and get some LSU stuff. And so my dad was obviously not happy. Well, they're getting pounded in that game, and he brings that kid in out of the bullpen to pitch. He was so nervous he came out to pitch without a hat on. <laughs> about to pitch with that hat on my dad said i knew we were in trouble as soon as somebody's knocking on the door to see if they can go to lsu and get some bookstore stuff get some yeah that, that's never good is it that's not a good never sign. good your first year at northwestern state you go 38 and 13 and that was the first winning season in 13 years i mean I, how did you get that going as quickly i think that that particular year i was trying to get some wins because i didn't know if we were going to win a game so uh, played an easy schedule up front and accumulated a lot of wins, but then beat like USL. That was good. Uh, I don't know, Ryan. I think we just, we worked so hard out of fear. And I was so excited. It, it, it would be great to still have that energy you did then. I thought I was, you know, coaching the Yankees. But, I mean, we worked hard. That was before there was rules, so. God knows, I think I'd practice them till it was dark because the president didn't want us using lights because uh, I don't think the school had much money. So I uh, just worked all the time, and uh, I lost my voice one time in the year, and I, I gave them off a couple of days. I think those were the only two days they got off. I just think we outworked everybody. Uh, I don't think we did anything special. We just stayed out there a lot, you know. Was it tough for you to leave LSU? I know you played at Northwestern no. State, so you're kind of no. going back home there, but was it tough to leave LSU? No, I because I wanted to be a head coach. You know, and I and I and I was with some guys that were perfectly happy being wearing that purple and gold and uh being a part of LSU. But I, I wanted I wanted to go somewhere and try it, you know. I love my time at LSU and uh I'm grateful that uh I got to stay there three years, but I was, I was ready to go, and it wasn't like, you know, I was figuring the only job I really am going to get is, or God chances, back home, because who knew you? And back then, no one got fired, and they didn't pay anything. And Coach Bourbon used to tell us, you guys are better off getting your doctorate and trying to get a job at Harvard or Yale or go be a manager at Piccadilly. And I was going – Neither of those options sound very good. So thank God it all worked out. What are some other things you learned from Coach Bartman? Well, uh, I really, I, I kind of, the basis of how you were going to a program, you know, he, he was different. I'd never been around a coach that was interested in all aspects of it. Because all I wanted to do was coach. All I wanted to do was hit ground balls, try to show how to pitch and hit. But he was into how you make money. 
and how you can show that baseball can make money so ADs will pay attention to baseball. And he changed the game. I mean, he learned a lot from Frazier. Yeah, he did. But the entire program about how to run it. And so he was as interested. You know, we every Monday, we he'd go out and speak. And I'd sell his book. And I'd get half of it. I remember I told him, I said, Coach, I have a class on Monday. And he goes, well, you're not here to get a degree. I mean, come over here and help me. So I, I learned uh, every aspect. I really, I, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of him in some regard. But the organization, uh, the motivation, um, I told him, I said, I've never met anybody as smart as you that was a coach, you know. <laughs> I mean, he could have been anything. On bus trips, he'd be reading the book on, you know, Ray Kroc, how he got McDonald's going instead of reading Field and Stream. So very intelligent man that by the time I got there, he was kind of interested in the whole picture because he knew they were going to be pretty good. And uh, so he didn't come to practice every day in the fall because I said, where's the coach? And they said, it's too hot. He'll be out here when Ben McDonald has a pin. But I tell you what, when it came time to play, uh, you know, he knew what to do. And uh, smartest man I've ever been around, for sure. Did you switch your on-field duties when you got to Northwestern State then from what you were doing at LSU? Yeah, I mean, back when I, when I got to Northwestern, it was the old days. I mean, it was me and I inherited the GAs that the previous coach had. And they were in class. So basically, you know, uh, I did the pitching I had another man do the hitting and, uh, but back then it was amazing. I, I don't know who that person was. I had energy enough to be involved in all aspects of it. And by the end, you know, I was barely making it to the mound. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I was involved in all of it back then, but I had good, good help. And, uh, some guys who went to Alabama with me, one of them in particular, uh, helped me with the pitching. And then Mike Bianco came and helped me for a couple of years. And he, he helped with the hitting. So back then we kind of all worked together. It was kind of like in 97 when one of my assistants came to me, Todd Butler, and he goes, you know, I need to be the hitting coach. And I was going, what? He goes, yeah, I need a title. And I think he was very smart because he knew we probably had a really good hitting team. So he became the hitting coach and he was very good at it too. But back then, as you probably know, and your dad knows, you kind of did a little bit of everything, right? No one had, was designated, but I don't know if that answers your what, question. Was that, was that the most eye-opening thing, probably going from LSU to Northwestern State, is, okay, how much work you're going to have to do to, to make it great? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, but again, I mean, it was uh, it was so much fun. And I had so much energy that uh, it didn't seem that way. But, I mean, you know, can you imagine, just like any young coach, you would practice them all day, go eat dinner, and then come back up and work all night. And uh, calling people, trying to convince somebody to come there. And no one really wanted to come there then. But uh, start getting some good junior college guys. F figured out a deal where – Call the junior colleges that aren't at the top and get the best players from the, I hate to use worse junior colleges. They weren't being recruited. And we started getting those guys and that plan kind of worked. And there's good players on bad teams. And uh, 
that helped us. And uh, and then, you know, toward the end, we started getting a few guys out of the Midwest, found out those guys in the Midwest, they would come just with a phone call because we had no money to bring them in. And they were just so south. happy. Yeah, it was warmer and they had AstroTurf and Natchitoches and yeah. Did the Southland have an automatic bid back then? You had to win the tournament. That's what I thought. Now, the, fir the first year, back before there was tournaments, the first year we won it, we got in, just went in the league. But the following years, it was had to win the tournament, and we never won the tournament. And uh, so one year we won the league. We lost the tournament game to the last place team. And then the next year we lost it. But the coach at uh, Skeeter, the guy at Sam Houston, he called me and he said, where would you like to go? And uh, I couldn't believe it. And I said, well, anywhere but Baton Rouge. And he sent me to, he sent us to Stillwater. So we got in without winning the league. So I, I think that was kind of a favor. Back then, I didn't know the dynamics of how anything worked. But Well, back then, the coaches, the coaches were in charge of the regional selections back then. So they, my dad was on the regional him. selection committee for a long time from the Midwest. So it was, you know, it was more of a regionalized format back then. The old, you know, eight team, six team, you know, regionals to see who went to Omaha or the, you know, the six team, eight, eight regionals to see who went to Omaha. Yeah. But yeah, that yeah. my dad was on the Midwest regional selection committee. So it was the coaches that were picking the, the teams that were going back then. That's why you need to be nice to your opposing coaches back then. So guys wouldn't get yeah. out. Well, that's how we got in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just taught me something because I, I was, you know, I remember he says your RPI is this, and you know, I didn't know what RPI was in 1994, and I said, okay, it sounds good to me. What did Alabama look like before you got there? I mean, you had the the most wins for a first time head coach. I looked that up. It was 1907 was the last time a first year head coach at Alabama had won that many games. Yeah. Um, well, I tell you what, you know, that, I think that was my favorite team, uh, more so than so the, the few that we had that went to Omaha. Um, it was kind of like a team I was used to at Northwestern. There were no stars. There was no first round draft picks that were gracing us with their presence. It was just regular guys. And, um, uh, and kind of yeah, used the same formula we did at Northwestern, just stayed out there forever. Then they passed this rule where you could only be 20 hours. That that didn't that kind of went against the grain. Players enjoyed that, I'm sure. I just I just stayed out there. That that was kind of my mode. That's not the best way, but that's all I knew. So uh, your so numbers prove out that it it works as many games as you want and in that league especially like it it proves that it it works if you can keep them out there. Yeah, if you can keep them out there and um, yeah, we just uh, not not to be just over simplistic, but I mean we just stayed out there all the time and we hit and we did defense and we had meetings and I talked to them every day, um, you know. I went from learn from Coach Bertman the mental notes, go over the mental notes every day at practice, and uh, and you found out who wanted to play, and so we got down to the dirty dozen or whatever it was, and and but to this day I that's that was my favorite group. 
1996, then, you win the SEC title. It was Alabama's first since 1983 and first regular season title since 68. Um, I mean, and, and you have the most title wins tied with Coach Burtman and Moneri. What is the key to winning that tournament? Because that is a, a tough tournament to win with the amount of teams playing that tournament. Yeah, I wish I, wish I could be specific. Uh, it helped that we were playing in Birmingham, I think. Got a little momentum. Um, I think uh, one thing that we did that I look back and I was going, how in the world did we come up with that? I would throw my reliever the first game. Hadn't 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 pitched but one or two or three innings the whole year. I would throw him the first game, which would give the normal guys an extra day's rest. And, you know, just by uh, God's grace or whatever, that guy always would do well. And then it would set up our rotation. And then we got momentum where guys had never pitched. And, but, you know, back then you would say, hey, listen, you know, we're playing in Hoover. Uh, throw it down the middle. Uh, don't try and be because they can't hit it out. Back before the bats got too crazy, right? So these guys that threw 82 to 85, uh, you know, they were giving up ball. Our park, a lot of home runs. But at Hoover, you know, we are hearing fly balls to the warning track. And we just – I look back and I, we were just very fortunate. We had guys that never pitched that came through and pitched great at the end. And, uh, and then I think there for a while, we, we thought we were going to win and I'm sure that helped, you know, with the thinking. And, uh, but it, that was an amazing run and we had awfully good players too there for several years. I mean, we I was at the talented. 1997 world series, by the way, I worked the yes clinic for the NCAA that they used to run the first weekend where coaches, I went with my dad, my college roommate to work that camp, but we mm -hmm. saw those first round of games. And, and I love telling the Roberto Vaz story because I think he was maybe the SEC player of the year, but you guys broke his leg in the uh, dog pile. And so he's out getting the bats for you guys with a broken leg during the world series. And yeah, the best player I've ever been around. He, uh, he was taking BP right before the uh, regional final against USC. And they had put the lime on the lines and there was a brand new white baseball right on the line. He didn't see it. And he was an excitable player. And I'm sure he finished off his BP round with a home run. And he stepped on the ball and broke his foot. And uh, yeah. Did you, they did did you guys win a national that. championship if you have him? I mean, you're a runner-up that year. Do you win it? Yeah, Does he I, make a difference? You know, I, ne I never thought about that till I went. After I left Alabama, there's a junior college down the road, East Mississippi, not far from the house, and I'd go over there and help them. And I remember the head coach says, you know, Coach, you to – and I never had thought that. But uh, in head-to-head -head competition, we had played LSU pretty good that year, and uh, – and uh, the players believe that, you know, as a coach, you hesitate to say that, but we'd beaten them two out of three and beaten them in the SEC tournament. Uh, we were more talented than they were. They were awfully good, but uh, they might have had a little more pitching depth. But Vaz was like losing, uh, I don't know, 
I just watched a special on uh, Detroit Lions and Barry Sanders. It was like we lost uh, lost your main guy there. There's a lot of history in that 97 field, too, because Tim Hudson was at Auburn. Lance Berkman was at Rice. It was Ron Polk's last year at Mississippi State. Uh, yeah. Obviously, what LSU did, that whole field, UCLA was in it. They had a bunch of big yep. leaguers. Every team in that field that year it was almost like this year's this year's yes. college world series with the amount of big leaguers that were on the field everybody in that yeah. field in 97 had big leaguers stanford kyle peterson was at stanford so that field in in 97 was really good really good. was really in miami had that what pat burleson or pat burrell he was huge uh yeah Pat burrell and uh burrell and then uh, yeah i remember watching ucla practice and they had the shortstop that was like six foot five they had two first rounders. Troy Gloss. Uh, Troy Gloss, and then they had a left handed pitcher. Uh, Parquet. Pasquet. Jim Parquet. There you go. I and, played uh, against those guys in the Cape League, so I kind of had knew those guys. You know, back then there's no social media, so you don't really know who anybody is unless you had played against mm -hmm. them. And I actually liked that generation better because you didn't know who anybody was. You know, that. Yeah, I like that generation. I, I like that too. There's too much information out there. Like Coach Bergman used to say, you know, with the scouting reports, you know, he says it, it, it gets to a point where there's just too much info. Do we really need to know what the guy looks at in a 2-2 count on a, you know, windy day, wind out of the southwest with a, you know, just, I like the old days where all you had was the stats and you go in, obviously this guy throws strikes, he comes right at you, he's very hittable, but you're going to have to swing the bat and, and, uh, yeah, at the end, I don't know what they do now. I guess you know better than me, Ryan. They, they, it's all video all now. Yeah. Synergy. It, it makes it easier now, though, because you can actually watch guys where if you want to spend enough time breaking guys down, you can do that because you can see every bat and every pitch that, that they've thrown or been on. So it, it's a little better visually because you can actually see them in action and – you know, the scouting reports, the, the hard copy scouting reports in the old days weren't always good unless they were your own, where right. I, I think this generation, if you want to spend enough time doing it, you can break break guys down. I mean, you're you're a baseball, good baseball guy. If you if you watch a hitter for five bat, at bats, you're going to probably be able to figure out how to get them out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I obviously that, that that is an advantage and uh because, you know, even when, when everyone was shifting, I asked uh, Bobby Barbie at Northwestern, I said, do you do that? He says, oh, yeah, we got we got that, whatever it is. I'm going, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Do you like the format of the SEC tournament in the field of 64 now? Do I like the format of the SEC tournament in the field of 64 now? Okay. Help me understand that question. You talking about it? Well, because the, the SEC whole has added more teams. I'm talking about yeah. the, the tournament. I think the SEC has done a good job because almost everybody gets to go play in that tournament, especially in that yeah. league yeah. where it does matter for RPI. Yeah. Yeah. Where I mean, you look at what well, Ole, I see Ole what you're Miss saying. did. Yeah. You know that some of the last yeah. teams in got in because of that, and then now with the field of 64. 
I really like the best two out of three series. And, you know, again, that's a, that was a one and done for the 97 World Series where maybe if it's a best two out of three, maybe you guys win that thing because you, you maybe beat LSU two out of three games because you'd played well against them all year. No, I agree. I, I do like the format the way it is now. And, uh, you know, back back in the day when – I can't remember where they were taking – when we first got in, six teams and then eight teams. Coaches the, – the, the coaches in the SEC, it became like a fraternity. And it seemed like they wanted more teams in because ADs would fire you if you didn't make the SEC tournament. More so than not doing well in a regional or not even making a regional back then. And uh, so everyone fought for that. And I think the ACC, did they not? They were the first, uh, weren't they? They expanded. everybody in. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good thing for the coaches. It's a good thing for uh, for baseball. So, yes, I do, I do agree with you. What's going into the ABC Hall of Fame mean to you? Well, first of all, I can't believe that I'm going in because, I mean, Hall of Fame to me is, uh, you know, Mickey Mantle. Sandy Koufax, Rod Dado, Skip Bourbon. We had a few good years, but I don't see my my record or time as Hall of Fame worthy. So I, I'm very, you know, I feel blessed to go in. It's a big deal because, you know, I, I went to that thing for years. When I was a junior high coach, I would go to that meeting. I still have the notes somewhere. You know, I kept all the notebooks. I'd go to every one of them. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coaching seventh grade and I'm going to San Francisco to listen to all these speakers in Dallas and Nashville and Atlanta, you know, wherever it was. So um, it was a big deal to me. I always wanted to speak at that and I'd put my name in at Northwestern and no one. And, but when I got to Alabama, they asked me to speak. I never spoke in front of so many people in all my life. Thank God I'd memorized that thing because if I'd have been off the cuff, I, I would have bombed. But um, it's a big deal, and it's a big deal, you know, mainly to my family. I think they're going to get a kick out of it, and my kids, because a couple of my kids were – when I got out of coaching, my son was nine, so he really doesn't even know I coached. So, uh, So my good friend Andy Lopez told me that, you know, because I, I was telling him the same thing. You, I said, wait, 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 I can't believe this. What, what they, they must be running out of names. And he goes, he goes, it's going to be a good deal for your kids to see and to get up there. And I, and so, yes, I'm very proud of it. But, uh, and, you know. I love that we're introducing that, maybe some names to the newer generation of coaches that, that don't. I, I feel like I kind of bridge the gap because I'm 49 and, so I feel like yeah. I kind of bridged the gap to the old days because my dad, so I know the names from the 60s and 70s, was around in the 80s and 90s, and now I love the fact that we're introducing Titans the game, that names that maybe people don't pay attention to that will know now, because I know how good you are. Like, you don't give yourself enough credit. You're really humble, and, like, you should give yourself more credit for what you've done over the course of your career because when you look at the numbers, like, no, there's not very many people that can say they did what you did in the game. Well, you're very kind, and 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 I and thank you for those words. But uh, you know, it's hard to 
hard to think that way. Um, you know, it's like when you, I don't know about you, but you know, you, you, you think, uh, you think about the things that went wrong more than the things that went right. Isn't that the, kind of the mentality of a coach, you know, you'd win a game and you're breaking down what went wrong, you know, especially when you have a good team because they can respond to it. It doesn't help when you don't have a good team. <laughs> that just makes things worse. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly, uh, uh, happy about all this going on and and uh i just hope when i get up there when they said the speech five minutes i went oh praise god because <laughs> they asked me to speak 20 minutes i wouldn't know what to do <laughs> well that that's for length of time and that's why i started these podcasts too is to give people a chance to to dive in a little bit more and maybe give some people some shout outs too that that you may not get to too just because we all stand on the shoulders of other people to get to where we're at. And so we, we've all gotten to positions because of the help of, of other people. So it's always nice to be able to give people shout outs that, you know, and, and just in general, give people shout outs. That's right. No, you're so right. And uh, I was thinking last night, cause you come up with ideas of things to say, and you know, every single position I ever got was directly due to one or two people or maybe more helping me get that, you know, uh, there's nothing I did on my own, you know, to get a job. I mean, somebody helped me along the way. And, um, it's so true because, you know, when you're young, you think, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm a self-made. I come on, you know, we, we all got here because of somebody's help and just some good luck. So was it the convention, the reason why you wanted to get into college coaching? Uh, well, it, it's kind of like when you start off in the seventh grade coaching football, basketball, track and baseball, I just, I just had a desire to go as far as I could, you know, it was just, uh, I don't think it was a convention. It was just that I just wanted to, I, I just was obsessed with, you know, I, I loved it. You know, I'd sit, sit at home, you know, with the TV on and I'm reading some book on baseball drill books, you know, getting new drill. And back then there wasn't a whole lot of information. I, I even got the Ted Williams, the video on, he made a video for Sears and I had to call Sears national office in Chicago. They said, well, we don't know where it is, but if we find it, we'll send it to you. And they sent me that and I broke it down slow motion. So yeah, I was eating up with it there for a while. I, that was pretty much, everything to be we had a videotape of just rod carew hitting there was no explanation it just i would throw that vhs tape it was just a half hour video of rod carew taking swings like no no narrative nothing it just was him hitting <laughs> uh, beautiful you know you know the first camp i ever went to was gary ward never heard of a baseball camp saw his video and, every year in high school oh and, uh, you know, it was in, I'm teaching high school and it was in my mail that had mid America. I said, what's this? So I, I took Joe and Terry bell, you know, my summer league team. And I went up there and I got to know him and he would let, and, and, but what he did made me think of it is he got permission from the Cardinals and he videoed Keith Hernandez. Uh, I'm sure he did others. And he put it in slow motion. He says, that's how he developed his hitting. Uh, and so, of course, I started taping games and then taping them in slow motion. And, yeah, you know, 
I didn't know what I was looking at half the time, but I remind me when you said Rod Carew. You didn't need any narrative. You just listen to them, just watch them. I tell coaches this a lot in camp settings or when I speak. This is the greatest time to be a coach, to be able to break video down. It's so so much easier now to break video down than it was back in the old days. You're using the mini VHS tape to go into a converter in the VHS to be able to watch. At JMU, each of our players had their own little video cassette recorder that you'd film and then if you want to break it down you had to put it in the converter and then break it down and now it's get your phone out and video it and then you can show somebody right away it just that's a lot easier i can't imagine there's a lot of information with that it it, you can overload people now because it is instant access but the amount of time that all of us coaches back in the old days did to try to help with player development you know luckily at, at evansville when we did it we the baseball offices were right next to the football offices and they had the cowboy collar that you could take the dial and go forward and back with it. So that made it a little bit easier, but it's amazing to think how far the game has come from, from just everything from when we all started. Yeah. And you're like a bridge, like you said, cause you've seen it all. Yeah. See my, my bridge, uh, it ended 20 years ago, but I mean, you, I hear these stories, but you've actually seen and done what they're doing now. Yeah, it's a different ball game, isn't it, Brian? Oh, it's just in a good way. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I know we've got we got a ways to go now with with everything that's going on uh, with NIL, and we'll get that squared away. It's it's going to happen, but it's it's amazing to think of where it started and, and where it is now. Yeah, yeah. I, I what is that NIL all about? It's. I don't even think the NCAA doesn't know either. It's the wild, wild west right now. It is. I mean, that's crazy to me. I can't imagine, you know, when you're trying to negotiate a a scholarship, whether to give them books or not. And now people are talking about thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a three-hole hitting third baseman. I don't know. I don't. But, you you know, you you play the hand that you're dealt. Yeah. You know, every exactly. generation of coaches has had to deal with something. You yeah. know, and over time, the next generation is going to have to deal with something different. And so you just, as a coach, I think that's the great thing with baseball coaches is they're really good at, at playing the hand that they're dealt. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, because you could have made excuses at Northwestern State. I mean, you could have made excuses. You didn't make excuses. You know, as a competitor, I don't think you can make excuses. No. No, you're right. I mean, things are always evolving and, and that's just the way it is now. And if we were in the middle of it or I was in, you know, you just, you adjust and go on. But from the outside looking in, it seems stranger than it actually is if you're doing it. Yeah. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to set you back, but looking back now, it helped you move forward? Something that set me back in life Well, in you th- Yeah, anything. Life path. Everybody has to answer this one. This is the one common question that everybody, because I, I, we've gotten some really great answers from this, and the listeners really like the the answers. And you know, for me, it's like something at the time maybe thought you thought it was going to set you back, but looking back now, it actually helped you move forward. Well, I, I tell you what, you know, it's kind of like I heard Johnny Bench say when he was uh, watching 
Mickey Mantle on TV and found out he was from Oklahoma and he turned to his dad and he said, can people from Oklahoma play in the big leagues? And he goes, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're under the impression when you're from Bossier city, Louisiana, that, uh, you know, the, there's that thought process that, uh, how am I going to make it when, you know, you, you viewed others, uh, not better than you, but in a position to do more than you and, uh, not having been a, uh, you know, a good player and, uh, and being in the seventh grade, you know, there were doubt, there were times of doubt where you said, am I really going to be able to, you know, coach at an LSU or, and, uh, that's why I went for Northwestern. Cause at the time I said, you know, that's about as good as it's going to get for me. You know, if I don't get this job, I'm going to be back at Princeton Junior High. And because, I mean, my wife's from that town. So I figured, you know, I got a shot. But uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. But that that was the, the fact that, you know, you can make it and you don't have to be a great player and you don't have to have, you know, I didn't I didn't really have anything other than it certainly helped that I worked at LSU that 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 helped the resume. And uh, we got to work with Coach Bertman. That that was a big help. And without that, probably the career would have stalled. But that certainly helped. Who instilled your love of baseball? I don't know. I I just, you know, my parents really weren't into uh, sports too much. They did because of me. But uh, I, I I don't know. I just I loved I loved all the sports. But baseball gave you the opportunity to coach because you're off in the summers. So, you know, it, I kind of fell into it. You know, uh, my father was an attorney and I guess I was supposed to do that. I took the, the test to do it and I didn't really want to do it. And a guy asked me one day to coach, uh, would I like to coach a summer league team? And I remember my first question was, do they have any good players? And he goes, yeah, a guy named Bill Pittman. I said, yeah, I'll do it. My father wasn't too crazy about that idea, but I said, dad, i tell you what, let me try this for a year. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll, I'll do the law school bit. And, um, and I got a job coaching seventh grade and I just loved it. And, uh, so baseball was because that was the only sport when you're in college, you could coach, I guess if basketball or football been there, maybe you, you do that. But baseball was the one that kind of fell in my lap. How did you know it was time to step away? When I started looking at my watch, uh, uh, <laughs> my my whole deal, Ryan. Because not was, too many. I I give you credit because I mean you're you're still in a great position. You, you guys were still rolling, and I don't think there's many guys that can do that. I think you see a lot of guys just kind of hold on. But I, I give yeah. you a lot of credit for making that type of decision because I think you know I think a lot of guys hold on to it if their heart's not in it or. You know, and I'm not saying your heart wasn't in it, but you, I think you, for you personally, and maybe I'm wrong on that, uh, you know better than I because you're in it. I was just intrigued at that how you knew it was okay. It was time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you're right. I, I, I tell you what, it, it, it started entering my head because my whole deal was giving more effort uh, because I felt that's how to overcome other things. You just got to work harder than the other guy. And I think, you know, I went to see Andy Lopez became a dear friend, is a dear friend. And I, you know, I went to see him in Gainesville one time because I was starting to feel it. I was getting, 
and feeling guilty because I didn't want to stay out there from dawn to dusk. And he goes, well, no wonder. He says, I've never practiced more than two hours and 30 minutes. He goes, you're just uh, getting started at two hours and 30 minutes. But I think uh, not to use that term because it's overused, but I would read all about all those guys, Dick Vermeil. I remember I was intrigued with anyone that got out of coaching early, Era Parsegian, uh, Jim Leland before he got back in. Because uh, I was thinking it uh, a few years before I did it. And honestly, they were paying you so much, or back then, you know, you start off at 50000 and you're getting like 250000 and uh, you got kids. So, you know, I probably hung on a couple of years I shouldn't have, but I just didn't. Uh, that's why I enjoyed that Barry Sanders deal last night. They kept wanting to. The, another the whole good deal example was of a, another good at the pinnacle guy, guy for his own purposes, which is, yeah. is exactly right. Now, gave yeah. you a chance to, to be with your kids, which a lot of coaches, I I didn't have that opportunity. My kids were, were old when I finished. You know, yeah. that's got to be a huge benefit to doing that at yeah, that well, point. It is. It is. My, nine, my son was nine years old, and he really is like my best friend. And because I didn't get to spend the time with the others. So he's still here. I'm, you know, he's got, he's in his last year of college. But uh, if anything, we spent, we've spent a lot of time together. I'm and, trying to make uh, up for it now. Now that with my yeah. job now, my son's 20, my daughter's 18. So I'm trying to make up for the time that I lost. You can do it. Yeah. You, you can, can do sure. it. Yep. You, you, and uh, yeah, because my first daughter is 34. Uh, you know, I didn't, you know, she today would say, you know, dad, you weren't at the state track meet. Well, we were in the SEC tournament. And, uh, but I got, uh, they understood because the other thing is they loved that life. They loved the travel. They loved going to the game. So uh, it was just a trade-off. But uh, my mom apologizes to me all the time about all the stuff we didn't get to do. But I remind her, I'm like, I, my, my classmates were jealous of me. Cause I was able to go on the bus and hang out with college players. And so I actually thought it was a great thing. You know, yeah. I think as a parent, you're always going to have guilt about your children on certain things, but I always remind my mom, I'm like, no, like I had it better. Like my classmates were jealous of what I was getting to do. Oh, I'd be jealous of you too. That, that, uh, that's, that's pretty cool life. Plus the, you know, think about what you were exposed to at a young age with your dad I mean, you're seeing things that some people don't get to way I later in life. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What are some other shout outs before I let you go? Uh, well, I mentioned uh, Skip Bertman, Andy Lopez. Uh, those are big ones. Um, you know, like in the talk, you know, thank all the players. How do you thank all the people? What do people do at these speeches? Do You, you can't name all these people, can you? Do you know what you do? <laughs> but I, I'm thankful really when you look, it's like Gary Ward called me one time. It was so Todd Butler got in the job and he goes, uh, he goes, Jim, I got an offer for you. I said, yes, sir. What's that? He goes, he says, hire my son to replace Butler and I'll come be the volunteer coach. And I'm like, uh, and then he goes, because it's all about family, Jim. It's all about family. And there you get caught up and that's it. I mean, you know, here we are, you get a, you got a couple of close friends, if you're lucky, uh, two or three and in your family. So, um, 
you know, you appreciate that more as you get older. I don't think that's the case when you're trying to make it. But once you, you're done, you look back and you're thankful for them. And because they're really, they're really it. Those are the ones that care the most. So I want to make sure I don't forget to thank them at the, uh, at the uh, convention. Thanks for your time, Coach Wells, man. I'm I, the, like I said, this was uh, I was looking forward to this just because you're well, right. Thank my sweet you so spot much. Playing and enjoy the yeah. time in Dallas, man. You're gonna love it. You're gonna have a great time. Um, yeah, I haven't been it's there. Been, I haven't it's memorable been there. for you. Yeah, well, Ryan, thank you so much. You're very kind. Look forward to seeing you down the road one day again. And tell Drew, tell Drew thanks again for getting the computer lined up. So I right. will, or we'd have never done this. <laughs> Appreciate you, sir. All right, man. Thank you. This was a bucket list episode for me getting to interview one of my coaching idols. I had so much fun rehashing old stories with Coach Wells. Pumped for him getting the recognition that he deserves going into the ABCA Hall of Fame. Thanks again to Jim Richardson. John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Wait for another